The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey guys, I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And, and we're, we're from, from Nature vs. Narcissism, Narcissism, a true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Since I've always been fascinated by true crime, I wanted to delve deeper into the criminal mind and discuss why these criminals commit these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was it just plain old narcissism? Join us every week for a brand new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Podbean. Don't Don't call call the cops! Bye! Bye. (laughs) There are many true crime podcasts available, each offering a different perspective to the genre. Each with their own niche that pulls the listener in by tugging at their heartstrings or their funny bone in one way or another. What we aim to do with Status Pending is make you think. We want you to feel as though you're connected to the case. We want you to feel something. The cases we're going to cover have discrepancies of some sort and may or may not be well known. They are either unsolved, prematurely closed, or open without any solid leads. We want to get these stories out to the public, for the family, and for the victims. Join us every month for a different case, which will be a different chapter in our podcast as we take a three-part look into the facts. We'll have interviews, expert opinions, and more. And we'll also be looking for suggestions from you for cases to take on as we move forward. You can email us at statuspendingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen to podcasts. Haha, uh-huh. you guys know that sound. Alright, before we get started, I do have to give a special shout out and make a, make an announcement real quick. Um, I will not do any, you know, Patreon shout outs this episode. I want it to be straight back to the point. How this is going to go down. Part one is going to be Wyatt Earp's birth up until he leaves Dodge City for Tombstone, Arizona. Part two is going to be Tombstone, Arizona, the shootout at the OK Corral. The trial that preceded the shootout at the OK Corral, which is very, it's something that you guys need to know about that is not really written about in history. It's very well documented. All the transcripts are very well documented, but it's really, really interesting how that all played out. Uh, and then we're going to cover uh, Wyatt Earp's Vendetta ride after that. And then part three will be the latter years of his life where Wyatt Earp does not slow down. All right. After he leaves Tombstone, it keeps getting more interesting so you know there's there's the game plan for that uh i do have an announcement this will be the last wild west episode on this feed uh because i'm fucking quitting this podcast just fucking kidding i would not do that okay 
No, actually, uh, me and two other guys, two co-hosts that I pulled in, are starting a podcast strictly dedicated to Wild West true crime. You can look for it in the coming future. Obviously, I will keep you updated on that. It's going to be called Blood and Dust. Uh, like I said, I will keep you up to date on what's going on with that. We already got the wheels rolling, all that good stuff. So it shouldn't be any more than a couple months down the road. Uh, we're trying to, you know, hit the ground running and, uh, do this the right way and get it all fired off. So for all of you, uh, true crime, Wild West enthusiasts, you're welcome. It's going to be badass. We've already got the first few shows picked out. We got a great guest coming on for uh, one of the first few episodes. It's going to be really, really exciting and super badass. Uh, another thing, my other podcast, Rev96. Look up R-E-V-9 colon 6. Uh, if you look that up, it's on iTunes now. It's literally nothing but creepypastas and ghost stories told in story form. It's very scripted. I have music behind it. Uh, it's starting to pick up a little bit, and people are starting to like it. So if you like being creeped out, if you like the horror, the paranormal stuff that I do, I do have uh, that other podcast as well. So, you know, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, same thing with MC. Uh, also, speaking of reviews, I will not read any at the end of this episode. I do have a bunch to read, but I want to just get this episode done and out. It's been almost a month. I've already recorded uh, one and a half other episodes that will be coming out directly after Wyatt Earp Part 3. So it's going to be one of those end of the month things where I just bludgeon you with like three, four or five episodes. So there is that. Uh, I will be doing like the Patreon shoutouts and the reviews at the end of part two, like I said. So if you want to get a review in, you want to get it read, um, you got roughly five to seven days to do that. Um, I already have recorded part of part two already. So, I mean, that ball is already rolling. Um, obviously, uh, if you like the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, all that, blah, blah, blah. Next thing is I got to give a very, very special shout out to... Basically, the friends and family of a guy named Weston Call. Uh, Weston Call died suddenly at the age of 32 in his sleep. Uh, a lot of his friends and family are having a really hard time dealing with this. Uh, my friend Lindsay uh, turned me on to it and asked me to say something. And, you know, that's too young. As we all know, that's too young. Um, I'm going to get a little bit sentimental. Okay. Again, I did this uh, for at the beginning of one of the Jesse James episodes. Listen, guys, tomorrow's never guaranteed, all right? For fuck's sake, live your lives. Make memories, take pictures, listen to loud music, get tattoos, smoke cigarettes, drink some beer. Enjoy your lives, because tomorrow is never guaranteed. And every time I see somebody, you know, I'm 37 years old. Like, if there's one thing in my life that I have learned, it's that you gotta fucking live life. And, you know, huge shout out to them. I'm really sorry to hear about your loss, and obviously, you know, it sounds like, you know, if you have a friend like Lindsay or a family member like Lindsay, it sounds like you're surrounded by good people. Um, that's what it takes. It takes a lot of loved ones for support. Just remember the good times. Try not to dwell on the bad as much. I mean, it is a shock when it happens suddenly, but unfortunately, death is a part of life, and it is it is times like these that we do need to concentrate on the good memories and, uh, you know, hopefully make some new ones. So... My condolences. I am very sorry about your loss. Wyatt Earp is this figure for justice, and that justice is exacted through the law when possible and outside the law when necessary. He represents the avenging angel, and we all want to believe him. 
30 seconds of his life is the essence of that myth. The gunfight at the OK Corral is one of the most famous moments in all of American history. The gunfight and the events that followed it define our idea of what the Wild West was. In an Arizona mining town, Wyatt and his brothers were drawn into a bitter conflict that echoed through the West. Tombstone and the OK Corral would become part of America's creation myth, and Wyatt one of its most enduring heroes. He gets arrested three times in the Peoria area for his adventures in prostitution. So he's kind of going down a bad hole. He loved saloons and gambling. He loved the atmosphere of it. He loved it to the end of his life. He uh, would be skirting the boundaries of the underworld his entire career. Wyatt was, was dour. He didn't laugh. He didn't get along with people very well. He was one tough SOB. If a troublemaker came in causing problems, Wyatt Earp could come up to him and beat the living crap out of him. Wyatt built a huge bonfire to give light, and he took a human hostage. He took a, a human shield, one of the cowboys, grabbed him, pulled him to his chest, and went house to house, kicking in the doors. And When you're dealing with someone like Wyatt Earp, you really just don't casually say, I'm going to kill you. You just don't do that. The real story of the Old West can never be told, unless Wyatt Earp will tell what he knows, and Wyatt will not talk. That is a quote from Bat Masterson. Imagine you live to be 80 years old, and your entire life, legacy, and legend is defined by one event that lasted no more than 30 seconds, and that was one event within this entire 80 years. There were no good and bad men in the Wild West. Oftentimes lawmen were outlaws, and outlaws were lawmen. And Wyatt Earp is no exception to this. He was once quoted as saying, The good Lord owes me an explanation for the things that have happened to me in my life. I want to know what made him say that. In this three-part series, we will explore the early life of Wyatt Earp, Dodge City, Tombstone, the trial after the shootout at the OK Corral, and Wyatt Earp in his later years. I hope you join me on this ride, because it's going to be a wild one. My name is Justin, this is Mysterious Circumstances, and you're listening to Wyatt Earp Part 1. Wyatt Barry Stapp Earp was born on March 19th, 1848. He was named after his father's commanding officer in the Mexican-American War, whose name was Wyatt Barry Stapp. Uh, his parents were Nicholas Porter Earp and Virginia Ann Cooksey, who was known as Jenny. Uh, father was kind of an interesting character. His father was a pretty hardcore dude, all right? You're going to hear some things, you know, going on a little bit down the road, you know, some some excerpts from people who knew Nicholas and were around him for extended periods of time. Uh, but he was kind of known as a bully, a drinker. He used to run out on debts, uh, and he moved around a lot. Wyatt Earp was not somebody who grew up just in one single town, all right? Uh, he 
was always moving around. His dad was always moving around because a lot of times he was getting in trouble, running out on debts. We'll get more into that here in a little bit. But uh, his father's occupations included he was a soldier, he was a farmer, he was a cooper. Uh, cooper is somebody who used to make like uh, wooden caskets, wooden buckets, uh, do woodwork and stuff like that. He was a constable. He was a justice of the peace. He was a bootlegger. He was a wagon master, and he was a teacher. So, you know, dude, dude was all over the place. Okay. Now a little bit more about his family. Nicholas's first wife was a woman named Abigail Storm. She died in 1839. They had two kids together. They had a Wyatt had a half brother and a half sister. His half-brother was named Newton. He was born in Kentucky. Uh, he was born in 1837, died in 1928. His older half-sister was named Mariah Ann. She was also born in Kentucky. Uh, she uh, was both born and died in 1839. She was only about uh, 10 months old, and she died two months after her mother did. Um, Nicholas's first wife did pass away. Uh, we're not really sure how. Uh, it's generally assumed that it was an illness. So right off the gate, Nicholas is at first a single father with two kids, and then he has to bury his uh, 10-month-old daughter two months after his wife died. So he goes on and marries uh, Jenny, and they have... Wyatt's oldest brother, James, he was born in Kentucky in 1841, lived until 1926. Virgil was next. He was born in Kentucky as well in 1843. He passed away in 1905. His older sister, Martha, was also born in Kentucky, 1845, and she died in 1856. She was, uh, you know, about 10 years old. She was just short of 11 years old. In November of 1847, Nicholas ends up getting kicked by a mule while serving in the Mexican-American War. He gets seriously injured and discharged, and he ends up moving to Monmouth, Illinois. Uh, after that, Wyatt is born four months later, like I said, on March 19th. So in March of 1849, because of his service, Nicholas gets awarded 160 acres and he decides to go to California to look for farmland with about a hundred other people. And he ends up picking a nice spot in San Bernardino, California. So he goes back home. He ends up getting all his stuff and heading out for uh, San Bernardino. And Martha ends up getting sick and, and dies. And he ends up changing his plans. He moves to Pella, Iowa, where Morgan is born. Uh, in 1851, and he ends up passing away in 1882. And then the youngest of the brothers, Baxter Warren Earp, is also born in Iowa in 1855. He passed away in 1900. Now, Baxter Warren obviously went as Warren his entire life, never went by his first name. Now, on March 4th, 1856, Nicholas sold the farm, moves back to Monmouth, Illinois, now, when he gets there, he there's no real work for him, uh, you know, as a cooper or anything of that nature. So he ends up getting elected as a town constable. Wyatt's youngest sibling, Virginia Ann, is born at this point in time. 
but she's actually born in Iowa in 1858. Uh, she ended up passing away in 1861 at the age of three years old. Now, here's why his youngest sister was more than likely born in Iowa while the family was living in Monmouth. Uh, in 1859, Nicholas Earp is tried and convicted for bootlegging. Now, he could not pay his court costs and fines, so on November 11th, 1859, he lost the farm at a land auction, and this was to help pay the debt from uh, the court and a lot of allegations of tax evasion as well. So on November 13th, 1859, two days later, the Earps move back to Pella, Iowa, and it is at this point, and I was just wrong, Virginia Ann was not Wyatt's youngest sibling. Uh, Adelia Douglas was born in 1861 here, and she ended up living until 1941. In January of 1860, the family moves back to Iowa after a brief time in Lamar, Missouri. I'm not sure exactly how much time they spent there. It couldn't have been too long. And it's right about when the Civil War starts getting going, uh, Nicholas leaves to recruit, and he's drilling local companies, and he's participating in a lot of this stuff. Now, at this point, Wyatt's 13 years old, and at the age of 13 years old, he is in charge of an 80-acre corn crop. He's also uh, watching over his two younger brothers, Morgan and Warren, and this is when he starts uh, getting a little bit of his personality He's known as a pretty serious kid. He, he doesn't really laugh. He doesn't get along with people. Not very many people like him. He's just a very serious guy. And at the age of 13, he tries running away from home a few times to join the army. But every single time, his, his, he ends up getting caught and his dad brings him back home. Now, on May 25th, 1861, uh, roughly six weeks after the Civil War does start, James, the oldest Earp brother, well, not their, his oldest full brother, signs up uh, for Company F of the 17th Illinois Infantry. Now, he ends up severely wounded in the shoulder and temporarily lost the use of his left arm in a battle at uh, Fredericktown in Missouri. Now, he remained in the Army for over a year after that and was discharged in March of 1863 as a disabled veteran. Now on November 11th, 1861, the oldest of the brothers, Newton, which would be Wyatt's half-brother, uh, he enlisted in Company F of the 4th Iowa Cavalry and re-enlisted on December 12th, 1863. He was discharged June 26th in 1865. During his time in the Army, he was a pretty good soldier. Uh, he received six promotions, and he got to the top rank of a fourth sergeant. Now, on July 26th, 1862, Virgil enlists into the Union Army as well. He joins Company C of the 83rd Illinois Infantry. Now, this is really, really sad. He was discharged on June 26, 1865. But at some point during the time that he was in the war and fighting battles, he was reported killed to his wife. Virgil Earp's wife's parents really disapproved of this marriage anyway. So they pretty much convinced his wife and his daughter that I'm not even 100% sure that Virgil even knew. Uh, they ended up moving out to Washington uh, Territory, 
and she got remarried. So Wyatt had a daughter that, or not Wyatt, but Virgil had a daughter that he really didn't even know because they had reported him dead and his wife and his, uh, his child moved away, which is really, really sad. Now on May 12th, 1864, Nicholas Earp leads the wagon train headed to California. Wyatt is about 16 at the time. They took Wyatt, Jim, Morgan, Warren, and Adelia. Now, the wagon train was originally composed of the Earp family plus three other families from Pella, Iowa, uh, the Rusows, the Hamiltons, and the Cur- Curtises, or Curtises. Uh, there were seven more wagons that ended up joining a little bit later on in the trip around the Utah area, I believe. Now, this was the land that they, he had previously prospected for farming in San Bernardino. This is where we start getting the, one of the looks at Nicholas's personality and just the kind of environment where Wyatt and his brothers were raised. And I think this, this tells a lot about why Wyatt had the personality that he did. Now, according to the diaries of a couple of Utah immigrants on the wagon train, Nicholas was an irrational and difficult man to deal with. One of the members of the original wagon party going from Iowa, a girl named Sarah Jane uh, Rousau, or Rousau, not 100% sure how to say that last name, uh, she wrote in her diary one day during the seven-month trek that uh, Nicholas Earp did not take well to backtalk. And she wrote in there, quote, it made him awful mad and he was for killing. He used very profane language and he could hardly be appeased. Disagreement was an insult and would set off an hour long tirade with threats of a, to abandon the immigrants in the wilderness for their opposition. There was discussion of the role, quote, too much liquor played in his temper, end quote. I mean, Nicholas Earp was known to have a bit of a drinking problem, and apparently he was a kind of a kind of an asshole. Now, on November twenty fourth, eighteen sixty four, uh, the same young lady goes on to write: "This evening, Mister Earp had another rip it with his son Warren for fighting with Jimmy Hatton, and then Mister Earp raged about all the children, using very profane language and swearing that if the children's parents did not whip them as he did or correct their children." He would whip every last one of them himself. He shows every day what kind of a man he really is. He is such an uncouth and foul-mouthed person, I think we made a terrible mistake engaging him and furnishing him horses and provisions to lead this wagon train west. End quote. Now that is a very telling statement. When Wyatt Earp has that dad, that literally is like, listen, if you don't handle your kids and beat them like I beat mine, then I'm going to beat your kids for you. So, you know, there's a little bit of insight into the household that Wyatt Earp possibly was raised in. Now, granted, this more likely was a younger girl. She could have been embellishing, but it makes me think that when Wyatt was 13 years earlier trying to, you know, run away to join the Civil War, like you're 13 years old. How bad does your home life have to be for you to want to run away to join a war. Now, I will say this, though. Virgil and Morgan, his next oldest and his next youngest brother, they were very, very close. Those three right there were the closest of the brothers. You know, Morgan was a very outgoing kid, really nice, got along with everybody, just super happy-go-lucky, cool dude. 
you know, and Virgil was kind of more like Nicholas and Wyatt, except he would kind of take uh, Wyatt under his wing, you know, he was his older brother, you know, it was that kind of situation. So, you know, Wyatt ended up being very protective of those two brothers, and Morgan in particular. And when we get into part two, that's going to play a huge factor when it comes down to Morgan getting killed in Tombstone. Now, in the summer of 1865, Wyatt and Virgil, they get jobs driving stages in Southern California. And uh, it's funny because sometime around this uh, time period, and Wyatt's about 17 years old, he takes his first drink of whiskey. And it makes him so sick, he abstains for 20 years. Now, it is very well known that Wyatt was not much of a drinker. Now, I don't know if he just didn't have the taste for it, his body couldn't handle it, um, or he saw possibly what what it did to his father, but he did not drink. And right here, he's 17, took his first drink, and he literally made him so sick that he did not drink again for 20 years. So, and if there's one thing you're going to come to learn about Wyatt Earp, it's that he is a very level-headed guy. And when we get further in the story, uh, you know, in part one, part two, and part three, you're going to learn that Wyatt Earp does not get scared. Like, it's it's truly fascinating. Um, as When you start getting into the details of the shootouts further on down the road, the dude does not get shook, man. He does not get shook at all. He's always cool, always collective, always very level-headed. As a matter of fact, one of the the coolest quotes that I ever saw Wyatt Earp have was about that particular subject in, you know, like a gunfight scenario or something like that. Quote, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. In a gunfight, you need to take your time in a hurry. And that's a direct quote, real quote, from Wyatt Earp, you're going to come to see that's exactly what he did. It's it's super fascinating how calm and collective this dude was, for the most part. Because I'm not going to lie, dude was rowdy. He was rowdy, alright? So, through the summer and winter of 1865, through the spring of 1866, Wyatt's, uh, he's driving stage coaches. you know, he's a teamster, he's driving freight, he's basically doing it for some guy named Chris Taylor who owned an outfit. Now, In this little section here, you really don't hear much of him because he's traveling around so much. Now, in spring of 1868, um, Nicholas can't really settle down, still his dad, and he ends up uh, back in Illinois. Now, Wyatt encounters the railhead for the Union Pacific Railroad in Wyoming, and this is where he starts picking up some skills and possibly some bad habits that, uh, you know, will follow him the rest of his life. This is when he starts learning how to gamble, and this is also when Wyatt learns how to box, all right, because you're going to come to find out Wyatt is a fighter, all right? So, you know, sometime in 1869, Nicholas moves his family back to Lamar, Missouri. Uh, November 17th, 1869, Nicholas Earp resigns as constable of Lamar Township, which is in Missouri. Now, Wyatt, who's 21 at the time, is appointed constable of Lamar Township and Barton County. Uh, and Nicholas is appointed justice of the peace of Barton County and Lamar Township. Uh, Like the next month, Earp starts dating a 20-year-old named Eurilla Sutherland. She is the daughter of uh, the family who owns the Exchange Hotel there in Lamar, Missouri. Now, 
it's either on January 10th or January 16th of 1870. I saw both dates. Wyatt Earp marries Eurilla Sutherland. Uh, they were married by his father, uh, Nicholas, right there in Lamar, Missouri. All right, right around May 28th, 1870, uh, Wyatt Earp, for the very first time, uh, starts receiving a lot of notice for his work within the law enforcement community. Uh, the local newspaper there in Lamar writes a nice little article about him when he single-handedly locked up some local drunks. And the article is from the Southwest Missourian. Uh, it's from June 1870. And it says, quote, Come to grief, one of our citizens had a brother from a distance call to see him on Monday last. And not seeing each other for a long time, they started around town to have a good time generally. Taking aboard, taking aboard a good supply of 40 rod, they wandered till the evening uh, when Constable Earp found one of them in the street incapable of taking care of himself and took him down to a stone building which he had appropriated for use for just such customers. As Earp was about turning the key on his bird, the other came staggering up inquiring for his brother. Mr. Earp opened the door and slid him in. Coming up to the square, Mr. Earp met another hard case in the shape of a tramping butcher who asked Mr. Earp to purchase him a pencil in place of one he alleged Mr. Earp had borrowed of him some time previous. Mr. Earp enticed him down to the stone building to procure him a pencil, and of course, he shared the same fate of the other two. There being a hole in the roof of the building, the three caged birds managed to crawl out before morning, and the stranger, not liking the reception he met here, left for parts unknown. The other two were brought before Esquire Earp, and each fined five dollars in court costs. A few more examples, and the town will be better for it. End quote. So he's starting to gain a little bit of a reputation in the community as being just, you know, kind of like a cool, you know, level-headed cop. He's like, oh, you're drunk, you know, just get your ass in here. He basically just tricked him, you know, into walking right into the cell, which I thought was funnier now. Hold on one second. All right. So in August of 1870, there is an event that changes Wyatt for a long time it's it's definitely like i said a life-changing event in august uh wyatt he ends up buying a little lot on the outskirts of town for uh, 50 dollars, and he builds a house and him and him and urilla are getting ready to have uh, a child she's about seven months pregnant uh seven eight months pregnant i believe she gets typhoid fever well she ends up passing away and his unborn child also passes away you're going to see Wyatt kind of go wild here within the next year. Uh, stuff, stuff's going to go down. This He literally had his whole life figured out. This was what he was going to do, you know, and this just, he was extremely distraught. This, this tore him up, okay? So in November of 1870, uh, you know, a couple months after she passes away, Wyatt goes and he sells the lot and the house on it for $75. Now, he was hoping to keep the office that he was appointed, you know, as constable. He And the best part is, is that he ran against his uh, older half-brother, Newton. 
And uh, the Earps, they just basically wanted to keep this job and this position in the family, no matter which way it went. Well, Wyatt ended up winning by 137 votes to 108, which is what Newton had. Uh, you know, and their father ended up losing the election for justice of the peace. And that was a very close four-way race, from what I understand. So, Wyatt is still constable. Now, on March 14th, 1871... Uh, Barton County, the the county that Wyatt works in, uh, they filed a lawsuit against Wyatt, and basically he wasn't. He's in charge of collecting license fees for Lamar, uh, which you know funded local schools. Now he what he was accused of was he was accused of not taking these fees to the treasury. Because back in these days, it was very, very common for a sheriff to go around and collect taxes and fees and fines and stuff like that. Uh, now, a lot of times, as you're going to see, you know, like in Tombstone especially, the the sheriff, whoever collected these, it was usually the sheriff, he got to keep 10%, okay? So, I don't know if that was the case here or not, but basically Wyatt did not take any of the fees that he collected any of the taxes he collected to the treasury like he was supposed to and he ended up uh you know getting charged with it now on march 31st 1871 james cromwell filed a lawsuit against him and he alleged that erp had falsified court documents about the amount of money collected from cromwell uh, to satisfy a judgment to make up the difference between what erp turned in and cromwell owed which erp claimed to have paid the court seized Crom's, cromwell's mowing machine and sold it for 38 dollars now cromwell's suit claimed that erp owed him 75 dollars which was the estimated value of the machine now i'm not exactly sure what became of that but that's just one instance that you're gonna see here in the next couple of years where where wyatt's just going crazy okay on march 28 1871 this is a really interesting thing that happens right here. Wyatt is accused of stealing two horses in Van Buren, Arkansas. Now this is Western Arkansas and this is known as Indian Territory, okay? Now his bail is paid. Now there were three of them who were accused of stealing these horses. They were John Schoen, Ed Kennedy, and Wyatt Earp. Now John Schoen's wife says that Earp and Ed Kennedy got Shone drunk and had him help steal the horses from a guy named Jim Keyes. All right, now Jacob Owens, who's a U.S. Deputy Marshal of the Western District, which was the uh, district there in Arkansas, the Indian Territory, uh, he filed his bill of information that accused Wyatt and two other men of stealing two horses. Now in this uh, bill, he says, quote, Wyatt S. Earp, Ed Kennedy, John Shone, on the 28th day of March, A.D. 1871, in the Indian country, in said district, did feloniously, willfully steal, take, and carry away two horses, each of the value of $100, the property, goods, and chattels of one William Keyes. Now, you're going to see this a lot. He says his name was William Keyes. You know, a lot of other official records say the guy's name was Jim Keyes. Who knows? Sometimes they went by middle names. Sometimes they went by first names. the The main thing is the last name, which was, which is pretty important. And it's really weird because in various accounts that you read, like documented wise, the last name Keys is also spelled different. So it's really, really weird. Well, Anna Schoen, 
you know, one of the accuser's wife, John Schoen's wife. Now, she contended that Urban Kennedy had basically tricked her husband into stealing the horses. Now, here's what she told Owens. Uh, they got my husband drunk near Fort Gibson, Indian Territory, about the 28th of March, 1871. They went and got Mr. Jim Key's horses and put my husband on one, and he led the other, and told him to ride 50 miles towards Kansas, where they would meet him. Her husband, John, had ridden with the stolen horses to the thieves' appointed meeting place near Fort Gibson. Now, Anna accompanied Wyatt and Kennedy there in a hack. Once reunited, the four hitched the stolen horses to the hack and continued their flight towards Kansas, driving the horses at night and resting by day to avoid detection. Now, Keys ended up following their trail, and after about three days, he ended up taking his damn horses back. Now, Anna also goes on to say, and this is pretty damning, quote, Earp and Kennedy told Keyes that my husband stole the horses. They also said that if shown, my husband, turned state's evidence that they would kill him, end quote. Now, six days after Keyes overtook and apprehended the thieves, Owens and the other posse members took Earp, Kennedy, and John into custody. Owens ended up returning uh, with the prisoners to the Western District Courthouse there in Van Buren, Arkansas, Indian Territory. So, on April 14th, 1871, this is when Wyatt, Kennedy, and Schoen get, a, get arraigned. Uh, James Churchill was a U.S. commissioner for the Western District, set bail at $500 each. Uh, now, Wyatt was unable to make bail, so he found himself in jail, Okay. Now, it's very important to realize that because I've heard a lot of different accounts of this, okay, especially in, in documentaries, which seriously pisses me off because they say, well, he was facing the noose. Well, no, he, he really wasn't, but in a, in a way he was. Now, horse theft, it was a felony, okay, and along with like counterfeiting, and these are very, very common felonies of the 1800s, of the 19th century, okay, uh, it was not a capital crime, though, in 1871. The last time a court in the U.S. had ordered anyone hanged for stealing horses was in California in 1851. Now, if Earp would have been convicted of the horse theft, he more than likely would have done five years in a federal penitentiary in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, that was, you know, a common sentence that was handed down to other thieves right around that same time period. All right. Now, where the hanging comes from is there was a huge fear of vigilantes. Okay. Like vigilantes would come and take your ass out of jail and more than likely the cops would let them and they would hang you themselves. All right. Um, one example in the fall of 1870 in Butler County, Kansas, which was less than a hundred miles from Fort Gibson, a vig vigilante group of about 800 men lynched eight suspected horse thieves right there on the spot. Now, like I said, the authorities did not hang horse thieves. It, it was a five-year sentence. But Wyatt Earp, who was 23 at this time, you know, if he would have been convicted of this, he's going to prison, all right? He's going to prison for about five years. But one of the cool things about Wyatt Earp, and I hate saying cool because, you know, it is what it is, but on May 3rd, 1871... This is about two weeks after his arraignment, and it's only a few days before the court that he was being held in was moved to Fort Smith, which would be another location where he would have literally been kept in, like, 
you know, a fucking dark dungeon in the bottom of this place. Like I saw a couple descriptions of it and it was, it was pretty bleak. Okay. So he's in jail with about 10 men, uh, in one single cell and he's in a, you know, an upper story cell, you know, in a jailhouse. Now, some of his cellmates are John Schoen, who's one of the, the guy that got arrested with him. He's also in there with a couple accused murderers who are looking at the gallows. They're looking to get hanged. He's in there with two brothers named Henry and Jerry Perry. They are charged with counterfeiting and, and a attempted murder charge as well. Now, they're accused of attempted murder against a uh, Western District Deputy Marshal as well. So that's pretty interesting. Like, these dudes are pretty hardcore. Now... Wyatt, Schoen, and per the Perry brothers and the two accused murderers, basically what they did was they pried off the rafters in one corner of the cell. They hoisted themselves up uh, into the low attic and crawled across the rafters to a small little window where ventilation was coming in and out. They enlarged the window opening they removed some of the stones from the building's exterior wall now what they did was they tied blankets from their cell into a rope they lowered themselves about 20 feet to the ground you know after then then they had to crawl underneath the fence which was surrounding the jailhouse and Wyatt Earp was out he was gone so he legit escaped from jail in like a straight-up cowboy fashion like tying ropes together out of a fucking window and climbing down 20 feet digging a hole underneath a damn fence, gone. So about five days later on May 8th, 1871, the court issued a writ ordering Western District Marshal William Britton to force Earp and Schoen to appear for trial in November. Now, Kennedy ended up being tried on June 5th. Uh, he ended up being acquitted for the crime. Owens, uh, the deputy marshal who signed the bill of complaint against Earp, okay, now, if you remember that name, he was one of the deputies who lined his pockets by arresting unoffending Indians and the occasional white vagrant and conveying them to court in Arkansas. So there's a lot of debate on whether or not Wyatt Earp was arrested on trumped up charges, okay, just for the money's sake. In 1874, the deputy U.S. Marshal Shoemaker, who was the one who Wyatt was locked up with the guys that tried to kill him. Uh, he testified that Owens was one of the quote-unquote confidential men who routinely committed fraud by exaggerating the number of men in a posse. And uh, Shoemaker also reported that Owens had pressured him into giving false testimony when a federal investigator came to Fort Smith in 1873 to look into the fraud charges. Okay, so Owens is kind of a piece of shit, all right? And it's it's still a little bit debated on whether or not, you know, the, the three guys were actually guilty of the crime that they committed. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that this is legit. Like, I'm pretty sure why it did this just from the testimony of John Schoen's wife and stuff like that. But um, on May 15th, uh, 1871... Wyatt Earp, Ed Kennedy, and John Schoen are indicted for horse thieving. Now, Earp and Kennedy, who were gone, they escaped, you know, they were indicted in absentia, you know, in absentia. I don't know how the fuck you say that word, but 
It doesn't matter. They, they, they weren't there, okay? So on November 31st, 1871, Wyatt Earp and John Schoen are no-shows for their court appearances, and uh, their warrants that had been out for their arrest did, re- did come back uh, unreceived. So they basically couldn't find him. And the reason is because Wyatt Earp was gone. He goes back to Peoria, Illinois. Uh, in February of 1872, that early that following year, Peoria, Illinois police raided Jane Haspel's home and arrested four women and three men. Wyatt Earp, Morgan Earp, and George Randall uh, were the men charged with keeping and being found in a house of ill fame. They were fined $20 plus court costs. So Wyatt is hanging out in a lot of brothels right now. And basically what's going on is it's still debated on whether or not Wyatt was an owner operator, uh, whether or not he was a pimp. If you want to look at it this way, he kind of was a pimp just because of the fact most historians will agree that his job was an enforcer. He was a bouncer. If one of the guys got out of line with the girl, Wyatt Earp, who was above average height at about this time, he was six foot tall in a time where the average height of men is like five foot six, five foot seven. So he has boxing experience. He was brought up pretty rough. Dude can handle his own. Okay. So if, if somebody's getting out of line with one of the ladies, they're like, Hey, Wyatt, go take care of old boy over there. And Wyatt literally will go over there and just beat the ever living crap out of that dude. Like this is what most historians will agree that his job actually was at this point in time. Now, just a couple months later, on May 11th, 1871, again, both Earps are arrested for the same exact thing, and they were each fined $44.55. Now, on September 10th, just a few more months later, in 1872, the Peoria Daily National Democrat reported that Earp had been arrested again. This time, he was aboard a floating brothel that he owned named the Beardstown Gunboat. Now, a prostitute named Sally Heckle, she was arrested with him, but she called herself Wyatt Earp's wife. So she is, she is known as one of Wyatt's common law wives. She is known as Sally Earp. Uh, Sally more than likely wasn't his wife. Um, she was more than likely the 16-year-old daughter of Jane Haspel, whose house he was first arrested in when they raided the place uh now the best part is that uh the the newspaper reported quote some of the women were said to be good looking but all appear to be terribly deprived john walton the skipper of the boat and wyatt earp the peoria bummer were each fined 43 dollars and 15 cents sarah earp alias sally heckle calls herself the wife of wyatt earp end quote they literally give Wyatt Earp the nickname, the Port Peoria Bummer. And at this point in time, the the, uh, the word bummer basically means um, he's a chronic lawbreaker. He's a transient. You know, he's possibly a vagrant. He's basically an undesirable. Like, he is a guy that they could fucking do without in town. So this is how Wyatt Earp is described at this point in his life. Now... Stuart Lake is a guy who wrote the first biography of Wyatt Earp, okay? Now, this was largely narrated by Wyatt Earp. There's a lot of inconsistencies in this book, but it is the very first one that was ever written that made Wyatt Earp a household name back in the uh, early 30s. Wyatt Earp 
told Stuart Lake that around this time in 1872, um, he was buffalo hunting, and this is when he met Bat Masterson, and he was on the Salt Fork of the Arkansas River. Now, judging by his arrest records, okay, Wyatt Earp was probably not buffalo hunting around this point in time. Wyatt did write Stuart Lake and, and said that he arrived in Wichita direct from a buffalo hunt in 74, you know, so he might have been hunting buffalo in, in 1873, 1874, but there is no real evidence to support the fact that he was ever a buffalo hunter. So sometime in 1873, Wyatt goes and he joins his older brother James in Wichita, Kansas. Now, Wichita is a pretty, pretty rowdy place at this point in time. You know, it's, it's, you know, the northern part of the Chisholm Trail where they're running cattle through there all the time. And this is the first time that Wyatter puts on a badge. You know, at first, uh, it looks like he just pretty much worked for like a private security force, uh, which were employed by local saloons and businesses to keep order and to collect debts and stuff like that. So basically, again, Wyatt is like an enforcer type. Like he's the guy who's going to show up at your door to collect a debt, and if you don't pay up, he's going to kick your ass. Uh, but he's very proficient at it, and he does good, and like I said, he's got he's got a cool level head, but the dude can handle himself, you know? Now, in May of 1874, Bessie Earp, who's James's wife, is charged with prostitution in Wichita, Kansas. This goes on to happen for uh, about a year. She gets arrested once a month for about a year for prostitution. Wyatt is said to be involved in this brothel as well. You know, again, it's it's debated on whether or not he owns the brothel with his brother and his brother's wife, or if he's just basically a bouncer and or enforcer type. Now, on June third, eighteen seventy four, Bessie Earp and Sally Earp, who supposedly is Wyatt's common law wife right about now, are charged with keeping uh, a body house, which is uh, is a brothel whorehouse. So. You know, it's just, it's just a continuing pattern. Like, this is, this is why it's life. Like, he's all about the gambling. He's about the rowdy lifestyle. He's all about the brothels. Like, this, this is where he feels more comfortable, I guess. Now, on October 28th, 1874, Wyatt Earp is one of two men hired by M.R. Mosier of Wichita, Kansas to chase down an outfit that left town without paying their bill. Uh, he ends up completing his mission and he goes on continuing working for this private police force. On April 25th, 1875, Wyatt Earp is hired as a policeman in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, he's making $60 a month and Wyatt soon proves himself to be a really good police officer. Uh, he knew how to use his pistol and he was always, always doing target practice. He was, he was very, very adamant about having the accuracy. Uh, apparently, the pistol that he carried, which was a Remington, somehow had a strap on it, uh, which Wyatt would use as a club if he could. Now, he would often prefer to pistol whip people rather than shoot them. Uh, he would, what he would do was he would, what they call buffaloing. Uh, buffaloing is when you hit somebody across the temple or the side of the head of some sort with the barrel of your pistol. Now, if you get, you know, a two or three pound pistol and the barrel hits you across the head, that's like getting hit with, hit with a lead pipe. All right. So that's knocking people out left and right. But, you know, he could also handle his fists. 
Bat Masterson would later go on to say, quote, there are few men in the West who could whip Earp in a rough and tumble fight, end quote. You know, that says a lot right there. Now, on May 12th, 1875, Wyatt Earp, as a policeman, receives a good mention for catching a horse thief in the Wichita Weekly Beacon newspaper. On April 2nd, 1876, it all kind of goes to shit for Wyatt Earp. An opponent of Michael Meager, who is Wyatt's boss, this guy's name is William Smith, and he challenges Michael Meager to, you know, his his uh, police office, basically, for his job. Now, what he did was he pretty much just talked shit about Meager, and he also talked shit about Wyatt and his brothers. So Wyatt immediately takes takes uh, offense, and Wyatt confronted Smith about it, and he ended up beating the shit out of him uh, in a straight-up fist fight. Now, Wyatt's boss, Meager, did win re-election, but he was not able to save Wyatt's job. A Wichita commission decided that Wyatt's violent behavior and was unacceptable, and didn't they did not rehire him as the police officer. Uh, the local paper said, quote, It is but justice to Earp to say he has made an excellent officer, end quote. From all accounts that I read, he pretty much just needed to control, like, his emotions. You know, he learned, needed to learn how to play the political game. <laughs> you know, getting into a straight-up fist fight with a guy who's running for office against your boss you know, is probably not the best idea, you know, to uh, further your career. On April 19th, uh, just a couple weeks later in 1876, the vote was split 50-50 on whether to hire Wyatt back on the force in Wichita. Now, on April 26th, 1876, a commission does vote to not rehire Wyatt Earp as a policeman because of the fact he beat the hell out of a candidate for the county sheriff so just uh, about a week or two later in may of 1876 wyatt says screw it i'm going to dodge city this is the next boom town uh you know this is what's going on he actually doesn't stay there long he does join the police force for a little bit but there's no real mention at this point in time of him really doing anything you know spectacular or anything but on september 9th 1876 uh wyatt and morgan leave and they go to deadwood dakota territory now they they're going there to get some land when they get there all the land is already tied up and all these mining claims uh, morgan decided to return to dodge city wyatt decides to stay yeah he was originally going to gamble probably try to you know stake some claim and some mines and make some money Wyatt was an entrepreneur you're going to come to find this out you know as we get later on in his life uh, Wyatt ends up making a deal to buy all the wood that one of the local guys had cut and put his horses to work like that entire winter, just hauling firewood into camps. You know, he made about $5,000 in profit, and he was still unable to file any mining claims. He could not stake any claims. So in uh, spring of 1877, Wyatt did go back to Dodge City. He rejoins the police force, and this was at the request of the mayor. A uh, guy named James Kelly. So he had a reputation at this point for being an efficient lawman. So on July 7th, 1877, the Dodge City, Kansas Times writes, quote, Wyatt Earp, who was on our city police force last summer, is in town again. We hope he will accept a position on the force once more. 
He had a quiet way of taking the most desperate characters into custody, which invariably gave one the impression that the city was able to enforce her mandates and preserve her dignity. It wasn't considered policy to draw a gun on Wyatt, unless you got the drop and meant to burn powder without any preliminary talk. So basically, it was a fact that uh, if you were going to draw a gun on Wyatt Earp at this point in his life, you had better kill him. And you had better, better kill him before he kills you or beats the hell out of you. So, you know, that's a cool little article from the Dodge City, Kansas Times right there in 1877. So in October of 1877, outlaw Dave Rudabaugh robs the Santa Fe Railroad construction camp and he goes south. Now, Wyatt was given a temporary commission as a U.S. Marshal. Uh, he leaves Dodge City and he follows Rudabaugh over 400 miles through Fort Clark, Texas. Uh, there's a newspaper reported his presence on January 22nd, 1878, and uh, he ends up going on to Fort Griffin, Texas. So Wyatt Earp ends up going into the Beehive Saloon. It is the largest saloon in town and is owned by a guy named John Shancy. Uh, now Wyatt Earp did know Shancy for a long time from back in his boxing days. And uh, Shancy told Earp that Rudabaugh had passed through town earlier in the week, but he did not know where he was headed. Now, Shancy suggested that Earp ask a local gambler named Doc Holliday, who had played cards with Rudabaugh. And Doc Holliday tells Earp that Rudabaugh was more than likely headed back into Kansas. Now, on May 11th, 1878, the Dodge newspapers reported that Wyatt had returned to Dodge City on the 14th. He had been appointed assistant marshal for the salary of $75 a month. He would be serving under a guy named Charlie Bassett. Now, Doc Holliday and Big Nose Kate, who you remember from the Doc Holliday episodes, now they showed up at Dodge City at about this time. This is right about the summer of 1878. Now, what happens during this summer is what cements Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp's friendship. Uh, Ed Morrison and another couple dozen cowboys rode into Dodge and they were shooting up the town and, uh, you know, they're going down Front Street right there in the middle of the town. They ordered, uh, entered a place called the Long Branch Saloon. They started vandalizing shit, harassing all the customers. Now, Wyatt hears the commotion and, you know, there's two different ways to look at this story. Like in Doc Holiday, I told you both versions, but one of which Wyatt busts through the front door uh, into a bunch of guns pointing at him. Uh, in another version, only three or five cowboys were in there. Uh, in both stories, though, Doc Holliday was playing cards in the back and put his pistol at Morrison's head, forcing him and his men to disarm. Now, Earp credited Holliday with saving his life that day, and Earp and him became friends until Doc Holliday ended up passing away in his later years. Uh, we'll get more into their friendship in a little bit. Um, we did touch on it quite a bit in uh, the Doc Holiday episodes, but there's a little bit more to it, especially now that we're learning about Wyatt Earp's personality. While they're in Dodge City, Wyatt does become acquainted with uh, James and Bat Masterson, a guy named Luke Short. And uh, these these guys right here, those three, Wyatt and Doc Holiday, they all form like this little... I can't remember what they called it. It was like a justice commission or something like that. And basically, they were like the, 
like the Mod Squad, if you remember that movie. These were like the guys that didn't give a shit, that got things done, didn't care about politics, didn't care about anything. Like they were getting things done. Now he also meets a uh, prostitute at this time named Celia Ann Blaylock, known as Maddie Blaylock. Maddie would end up becoming Earp's common law wife, uh, you know, until right around 1881. But in July 26th, uh, 1878 at about three o'clock in the morning there is something that does happen a guy named george hoyt uh and a bunch of other drunken cowboys are running around they're shooting their guns wildly this basically included you know three shots into dodge city's uh comic u theater now this caused the the comedian at the time eddie foy to throw himself at the stage floor in the middle of an act now nobody was injured but Wyatt Earp, who was assistant marshal, and uh, Bat Masterson, who was a policeman, they responded, uh, and together, you know, a bunch of citizens basically turned their pistols loose in the direction of the fleeing horsemen. Uh, as the riders crossed the Arkansas River Bridge south of town, George Hoyt fell from his horse after he was wounded in the arm or leg. Now, Wyatt Earp goes on to tell Stuart Lake, his very first biographer, uh, that he saw George Hoyt threw his gun sights against the morning horizon and fired the fatal shot, killing him that day. But in all honesty, you know, the, the Dodge City Times at the time did report that uh, George Hoyt ended up dying of gangrene, and uh, that was on August 21st, and this was after, you know, his leg was amputated. So this was like, you know, a month later or whatever. So it's really hard telling, you know, what actually happened there. But White Earp is credited with, um, you know, through history and through biographies of his own telling, is credited with uh, the shooting of this guy. Now, in July, again, in 1878, uh, the Dodge City newspaper reported that White Earp had been fined $1 for slapping a muscular prostitute named Frankie Bell, uh, who, according to the papers, heaped epithets upon the unoffending head of Mr. Earp to such an extent as to provide a slap from the ex-officer. Now, Frankie Bell spent the night in jail and was fined $20, and Wyatt Earp was the legal minimum, which was $1. Now, <laughs> I don't know why that, that just cracks me the fuck up. I don't even know why, but, uh, you know, at, at this point in, in late 1878, in, in the next, the following year, you know, Dodge City is starting to wind down, okay? The boom is gone. Uh, you know, a lot of the patrons are leaving. You know, a lot of the reason why it went there is because he could provide that protection money. Now, the reason, one of the reasons him and Bat Masterson would get along so well is because they had the same philosophy of law enforcement, okay? They were in this business to make money, and being in law enforcement at this point in time was a good job to make money because, well, your life expectancy was pretty short. Not many people were signing up to do this job, okay? So that's why they gave all these little extras to the officers, like, you know, keeping 10% of the taxes that you collected around the, the area and the ranches around there, okay? Well, what they were doing was they had the same idea of this is why they would pistol whip and they would rather fist fight a lot of the people who were breaking the law as opposed to shoot him because if they shoot these people they're not going into the saloons and they're not spending money therefore the saloons don't need as much protection and they start paying less 
Like that's it's it's a revolving thing, and then like Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson knew that, and that's why them two got along so well because they had the same, you know, calm and collective attitude about them. Now Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, they were damn near two of the same people. Uh, you know, nobody liked Doc Holliday, okay, except for Wyatt Earp, and Wyatt Earp was not liked by that many people either. Uh, unfortunately. You know, he was, he didn't get along with people. He's very quiet. He didn't crack jokes. He was a serious dude, but he was very level-headed, very calm and collective. After Doc saved his life, I think their two personalities literally meshed. You know, they were the two guys that nobody really got along with, and uh, they just saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And, and obviously, you know, Wyatt was always credited Doc with saving his life. You know, whether it happened or not, you know, it's hard telling, but... Uh, you know, that's something that, that generally people, especially like Wyatt Earp, who didn't talk, like Wyatt Earp did not talk very often. Like, that's why, uh, you know, it was really hard getting a lot of these stories out of him for, uh, you know, his first biographer, Stuart Lake. So for Wyatt Earp to say something like that, I really take it to heart. I really don't think it's bullshit. You know, there you have those facts. Now, a little bit later on in 1879... Wyatt gets a letter from his brother Virgil, and it's all about this town called Tombstone, where there's a huge silver strike, and this town is booming, and there's lots of money to be made, and this is what Wyatt's going for, and that's where we're going to cut off the story, because there's a lot of stuff going on in Tombstone with the, with the, uh, you know, the shootout at the OK Corral, the events leading up to it, uh, the Vendetta ride, and uh, to believe it or not, it's super interesting to get into the story of the legal proceedings following the OK Corral, because I don't think people realize how close Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday came to being convicted of murder and hanged. And I'm going to lay it all out for you in part two. It's going to be super interesting. Uh, you know, we're going to get start getting into the uh, the true crime, the legal aspect of it, which would be f super cool. And uh, until I see you in part two, I'll see you on the flip side.